Good evening. It's about 29 degrees in my basement, and this is what's known as a cold intro in the recording business. And if you were a dead body hanging out in my basement, you'd also be 29 degrees. Welcome to Death Mysteries, Episode 9. I'm your host, Kingman Bondgram, and we have an update for you. Matthew Lang, the young man we discussed in our last episode, whose vehicle was found after suffering a rollover crash on Highway 62 near Lost Creek Lake, has been found, and he is deceased. So I'm curious facts about this case are that his body remained about 300 yards from his crashed vehicle. He lay there for the better part of two weeks without being discovered, despite all the search efforts, search efforts that we witnessed firsthand as we drove by the scene of the accident on Halloween. And it's curious that it took so much effort and time to find his body so close to the vehicle. Now, it's not known if he was thrown from the vehicle during the crash or if he somehow made his way out of the vehicle, dazed, hurt, and confused, and ended up expiring from his injuries close to the Rogue River. Um, Who knows if his life could have been saved if somebody had noticed the crash scene, you know, quickly after he suffered this this accident and had alerted police and paramedics earlier. Because as we know, it was about... 9 to 12 hours after the crash time when somebody finally noticed the bent guardrail and called it into police and they responded. Um, We can only give our sympathy to Matthew's family. This is a tragic end to the story. We always hope that the people we discuss in our missing person segments are found alive. The only mystery for me that surrounds his death is was he the only person in the car? When did the accident actually happen? Um, did it really happen when they said it did in the morning hours? Uh, you know, sometime around 7 or 8 a.m.? Uh, did it happen the night before? Um, you know, what was he doing in Southern Oregon? Well, he's from Bend. That's kind of Central Oregon. But what was he doing coming to Medford? We still don't know that. Um, there is still some mystery surrounding the circumstances of his death. But again, a tragic end to Matthew Lang's life, 
and we can only hope that the investigation will continue and give this family a little bit of closure uh, around the circumstances of his death and hope that it doesn't happen again um, but it probably will in our county because that's just the way things are around here. All right, so we're going to get back on track and talk about a couple of unsolved murders tonight. The first homicide that I want to discuss is that of Roger Johansson, and he was found murdered on December 11th of 2007. Roger was found in his home after it had burned down. An autopsy discovered that he had been beaten and stabbed before his house was set on fire. He also operated a business out of his house. What kind of business is that, you ask? Well, he was actually a well-known drug dealer in the area running methamphetamine for the Mexican cartels. The fact that this homicide investigation remains open to this day doesn't mean that the police have no clue who did this. Uh, Lieutenant Rich Fogarty with the Jackson County Sheriff's Office has a theory about who may have murdered Roger Johansson. And he thinks it has to do with his drug connections. And he has pretty good evidence to suggest that there were threats made to Roger Johansson's life while he was serving time in the Jackson County Jail. He placed a number of phone calls that were recorded from the jail to one of his drug connections. And these recorded phone calls, because your, your phone calls when you're in jail are always recorded. In fact, just be aware that you're being recorded all the time in our society. Wherever you go, there are security cameras, there are apps on your phone keeping tabs on you, possibly recording what you say and what people around you say. And especially if you're in jail, they're keeping an eye on you, they might have the place bugged, there might actually be listening devices in the walls. You know, so just be aware. Anyway, we have a clue as to who may have done this to Roger Johansson because somebody that he called said, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to burn your fucking house down. Well, that's a pretty big clue in the case, right? Well, why is this case still open? You can guess. The Mexican cartels are notoriously difficult to track down and prosecute, mainly because they go back and forth between two countries and they are very dangerous individuals. Lieutenant Fogarty actually went so far as to say that he has a prime suspect in the case, somebody he thinks is responsible for this murder. But this individual has fled to California, which might as well be a foreign country. Um, it's really hard to get people extradited and it's really easy for them to hide out in the nation's most populous state with huge illegal immigrant communities and legal immigrant communities and huge crime syndicates. It's pretty easy to hide out there. Not like Southern Oregon where everybody knows everybody or at least it feels that way sometimes. The next death mystery that I wanna talk about tonight is that of Christy Lynn Farney. She was six years old when she went missing on December 14, 1978. Shortly before her disappearance, she testified against her father in a sexual abuse and physical abuse case before the grand jury here in Jackson County. So you're probably thinking he looks like a really good suspect in this, right? Well, what if I told you there's an even better suspect, a suspect you've probably heard of if you're a true crime buff? Hell, you've probably heard of this guy 
even if you're not a true crime buff, because he's a very, very famous serial killer. And who am I talking about? I'll give you a hint. His middle name is Lee. Now, didn't I say that a lot of serial killers have the middle name Lee? Well, they do. But this is one that is going to ring a bell when I tell you. Henry Lee Lucas. And he actually confessed to killing Christy Lynn Farney. And we know that Henry Lee Lucas was active in Southern Oregon and far Northern California at the time of her disappearance. So that gives us one really famous suspect in Henry Lee Lucas and another suspect, her father, named Kenneth Farney. And it's possible that maybe one or both of them had involvement in her disappearance and murder. And it's actually possible that somebody else had a part in this too. Her uncle, Kenneth Farney's brother, one Joseph Farney, was living with the little girl at the time of her disappearance. And he committed suicide a short time after she disappeared before they could question him. And so he is a viable suspect too. Is it possible that one, two, or three of our suspects were involved in her abduction and murder? Yes, it's very possible. Her remains have never been found. The case is still open and actively being investigated. We know there was a push back in 2008 to clear up this case and they reopened all the files and assigned another detective to this case. Um, it wasn't Fogarty, it was actually another gentleman. Um, I actually can't find his name here. Um, anyway, so they're still looking for Christy Lynn Farney's remains. They're looking into whether or not Henry Lee Lucas had anything to do with it. Um, you know, he confessed to 165 murders. And we know that he may have conflated some of these confessions to give himself a bigger bravado. Because serial killers do that. They have huge egos. They like to pump up the number of murders. Um, and we really can't interview Henry Lee Lucas anymore. The guy was sentenced to death, and guess what? In 1998, he was, well, his sentence was commuted. And did that spare him? No. Uh, just three years later, Henry Lee Lucas died of heart failure in prison at the age of 64. Well, can we talk to Christy Lynn's father, Kenneth Farney? No, we can't. He actually died in a traffic accident in 1996. And can we talk to his brother? Well, no. Remember, I said he committed suicide. So our three main suspects are dead. Is this a case that's going to remain a death mystery? Probably. Is this a case where her remains may very well be found? Do they have DNA to match remains found too? Yes, they do. And am I hopeful that her remains will be found? Well, this is a very big wooded area where lots of bodies are hidden and not a lot of bodies are found. Um, we got a lot of missing people that will remain outstanding missing persons. And as you know, in, in our death mysteries travels, we go out and we actually look for human remains in places where they might be dumped. And we haven't found anything yet, but we're gonna continue to go out. It's really cold right now and it's gonna be snowing soon. So not good weather to go out and search the roadside, to go out on BLM land, to check abandoned mine shafts, to look around areas where water has been, but now is drained. Um, there are a lot of places that we go and look for bodies. And come springtime, we're going to be doing a lot of mushroom hunting, but we're also going to be doing a lot of uh, we're also going to be doing a lot of 
hunting for human remains and is kind of a public service that we do. Um, it's, I would, I would be lying if I told you it wasn't exciting and wasn't interesting, but it, it gets us out there and it puts us in areas that are less traveled or pretty much never traveled. It puts us into environments that are fascinating and we find a lot of stuff, not, I mean, not human remains yet, but we find a lot of things and see a lot of things that most people don't get to see by exploring these areas. Anyway, got off on a tangent there. We're gonna talk about another case. So I was actually able to find a little more information about Troy Dean Carney. Remember the murder on Dead Indian Memorial Road that we talked about? Um, well, Troy Dean Carney was murdered about the same time on uh, September 4th of 2007, and his body was found in a homeless camp over by the freeway interchange, and he was shot in the head. Uh, a little bit more information has come to light the more research I've done. It seems that David Lewis received a little bit more attention because he was killed and burned up in his home uh, about the same time as Troy Dean Carney. And he was a well-known member of the community where Troy Dean Carney was, well, Carney, that's a funny last name. He was a transient and he had no real ties to the area apart from some friends and he had lived here back in the 90s. Anyway, back to Troy Dean Carney uh, in the case that plagues us to this day. Um, at his campsite, they found a Wolverine mask and some Wolverine comic books that did not belong to Troy Dean Carney. And they actually took DNA from the inside of this Wolverine mask and in their database, they found a match to another homeless man. They tracked him down and they questioned him about Troy Dean Carney's death. And this man was subsequently not cleared, but he wasn't arrested, and they didn't really pursue him much further than that, but he remains a viable suspect. I was unable to get his name. Another curious thing about Troy Dean Carney's death was that nine days after his death, on approximately September 14th, a fire was discovered very close to the campsite that he was murdered at, right near Table Rock Road off of I-5. And the fire was actually, well, it was set to burn some evidence in the case, evidence that the police had yet to find. Um, what kind of evidence, you ask? Well, I'm not really sure. They're being mum about that. This case is still active. And I have subsequently learned that Captain Snaith and, uh, Snaith, that's a cool name, Captain Snaith and L Lieutenant Moran of the Jackson County Cold Case Unit actually have a working theory that the death of Troy Dean Carney may indeed be linked to the death of David Lewis. They actually think that there's a strong possibility that the same suspect murdered both men. Now, it's not known if there was any real connection between the two men, but there is the distinct possibility. And I get the feeling that these law enforcement officers have developed information that they're holding back from the public at this time. Now it's, well, 13 years after these murders. And I know they're still working the case. And there's a pretty good chance this may be solved. We know they have DNA evidence um, linking, uh, linking them together in some way. Um, at least that's my conjecture. We know that there may be physical evidence linking the two together. We don't know what that is, but we hope to see a, well, we hope to give you an update and actually see this, both these cases closed. And the person or persons responsible for these deaths uh, brought to justice. Only time will tell.
And like we always say, if there's limited resources, if new murders keep happening and people keep disappearing, and that's pretty much happening all the time here, um, these cases won't get the attention that they deserve. And they are truly cold cases being 13 years old. Another case that has really piqued my interest while doing death investigations into people that have been murdered and burned in their own homes right here in Medford. And there's a, there's a lot more than one um, case out there that's very similar to this. Uh, a couple years ago, in 2018, uh, a man named Jordan Adam Criado, who was 51 years old at the time, was married to a Tabasha Criado, and she was only 30. And he actually stabbed her, and he stabbed his four children, um, and their names were not released because of their ages. Um, seven, three boys, ages seven, six, and five, and a two-year-old daughter. He stabbed them all to death, and then he lit the house on fire. And it was actually in a neighborhood of older homes in southeastern or uh, southeastern Medford. And he's currently awaiting trial in the Jackson County Jail on capital murder charges. And we'll wait to see where this case plays out. Um, is this a mystery? Well, it's always a mystery to me how somebody can murder children. I mean, especially their own children, but murder any children. And uh, if he has done something like this, you know, killed four little children and his wife, could he be responsible for other murders? I would think so. Could he be responsible for some of the other murders we've talked about? Anything's possible. I mean, it's definitely worth looking into it. But if he is guilty, this man, uh, Jordan Criado, is a fucking monster. And let's only hope that the capital murder rap against him, if he is guilty, is enforced to the full extent of the law. Um, I'm not an apologist for the death penalty here. In fact, I don't think it's enforced enough. Um, remember I mentioned Henry Lee Lucas earlier? Well, it's a shame that he didn't actually suffer the same fate as all his victims uh, and die by the hands of the state. Um, he was able to live his life out in prison. And I know that California, you know, Gavin Newsom, Mr. Uh, Mr. I will have dinner at the French Laundry during the fucking pandemic. And I will laugh and chuckle as I apologize because the law doesn't reply, apply to me. Um, you know, he basically put a moratorium on the death penalty in California. And we know that the death penalty is not applied not applied uh, fairly in all cases and we do know that there's an estimate of up to 25 percent of people who are convicted and sentenced to death may be innocent and that number is way too high but for the people that we know really are guilty for the true monsters out there like henry lee lucas why can't we just get it over with why should they be sitting on death row for 20 or 30 years um and here in oregon we actually execute people and we're Gosh, let me let me think about this for a sec. Well, I kind of got to eat my words. Um, we actually have the death penalty in Oregon, but our great governor back in 2011, John Kitzhaber, actually put a moratorium on the death penalty here too. And Kate Brown, who is a better person than Gavin Newsom, but still I don't really agree with her politics, um, she has affirmed her commitment to stop the death penalty here in Oregon, 
despite the fact that we have voted to keep the death penalty in play as a democracy here in Oregon, and we've also voted in California, because I used to be a California resident, we voted twice to keep the death penalty, and yet the governors think they know better than their lowly subjects. And they went above and beyond and used their political aspirations to silence the the opinion of the people and to move the majority or the minority opinion forward and to virtue signal and say that there was going to be no death penalty no matter what. Uh, is it a deterrent to have people executed? No. Does it make the victims feel better? Not really. Is it the right thing to do? Yeah. And I'll leave it up to you to, to, <laughs> to decide for yourself if you think the death penalty is appropriate. Um, the ultimate punishment. But what do you do with people that are monsters, that murder little tiny children, that rape defenseless children, that take advantage of the, well, I'm kind of going off on a rant here, that take advantage of the most vulnerable in our society? You get rid of them. Oregon currently has 34 inmates on its death row, and that doesn't count the inmates that are on federal death row here in Oregon. One last note about that, uh, both Oregon and California are officially disbanding death rows and they're going to return those inmates to the general population so that they can serve out their non-existent death sentences with normal prisoners. Well, okay, it's not up to me. Curiously, the only woman who was on Oregon's death row had her sentence commuted to life in prison last year. Her name is Angela McNulty, and she starved and beat her 15-year-old daughter to death in 2009. Um, did she deserve the death penalty for that? I'll leave it up to you guys, the listeners. Uh, is it right that she has had her sentence commuted to life? Well, I certainly wouldn't want to spend life in prison. In fact, some people believe that life in prison is actually worse than the death penalty for a lot of these people. Um, I don't know. I hope to never go to prison, crossing my fingers, and keeping my nose clean. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, maybe I should do a special episode next time on all of the 34 inmates that are currently on Oregon's death row, or at least cherry pick some of the worst ones and go through their cases. Um, that might actually be a fascinating way to go for the next uh, Death Mysteries podcast. And I'll leave it up to you. Uh, maybe some of them are innocent. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll try to actually cherry pick some of the ones that might be innocent and we'll highlight those cases and we'll go through them. Well, in other news, we actually had a double homicide on East Evans Creek Road a few miles from where I live on November 6th. They do have a suspect in custody. Um, a guy named Joshua Robert Miller went over to a house uh, on the 15,000 block of East Evans Creek Road and he shot two people to death after they called the police to report him being there. And there was actually a manhunt um, for him in the surrounding area, and it lasted a few days, and they finally got him into custody. Um, but he was able to elude people for quite a while. These woods are vast, and there's a lot of dirt roads out in Weimar. I actually have some friends who live out there, and 
uh, it's hard to find people's places if you don't know where you're going. Um, dirt driveways that split here and there, um, really dense, and it's it's no surprise that this Joshua um, was able to elude capture for so long. Um, and then the other day, when I was in Medford, uh, some cops came racing by me about 7.30 at night, and I actually went over to where some friends were hanging out and they were listening to the scanner and somebody had been shot in the head and the deputies were given a be on the lookout for two men in a ski mask uh, driving a light blue Honda um, four-door um, I don't I don't know anything about the case it actually hasn't been in the media around here they're kind of uh, gone mum on it I don't know if the victim survived. I don't know if they got the suspects. It's kind of one of those things that I witnessed first. Well, I didn't witness it, but I heard about it on the scanner, saw the cops driving by, uh, listened to the police chatter, and then nothing in the media. So just because you don't hear something in your local TV news or read about it in your local paper doesn't mean there aren't crimes happening in your area. They are. It's just things are not always reported. And I think I'm getting a little bit tired of doing my local area. I mean, I'm not tired of it, but I think I'm going to branch out and do some more famous cases from around Oregon and actually have more information. Um, so next time, uh, I think I'm going to do a little bit of... Uh, I'm going to start with some of the death row cases here in Oregon and do a deep dive into one or two cases that the person sitting on death row is possibly innocent and will let my audience judge whether or not they are innocent and maybe they're falsely accused and maybe we'll have a good discussion about the death penalty and if you heard this episode and you agree with my stance or you disagree with my stance on the death penalty please leave a comment um please give me a review i mean i don't have any reviews on itunes yet i don't have any reviews on spotify i know i don't have that many listeners and i'm trying to grow this and i'm trying to get better at it Anyway, thank you for listening to episode 9 of Death Mysteries. And uh, it's freaking cold, and, and it's about, well, it's just about midnight. And I think I'm going to sign off and go eat me some, some candy and uh, relax. And maybe uh, do a little more research for next time and fall asleep with my cats.